0: You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to church. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the only pastor here. (laughs) Worked two weeks ago. I'm going to keep using that. Welcome. Hope you feel really welcomed here at Harborside Church. This is exciting. We are. If you know the story about Harborside, we are... This is our fourth week as a grown-up church, so we are growing up as a church. It's very exciting. I want to add my welcome to Ali's on this long weekend. Thanks for sticking around. I know it's tempting to head out, and so we just know who the real Christians are now. <laughs> welcome to church. I- I'd like to do something um, semi-in-house, and that is just to-, to welcome our wonderful kids' worker, Rita Smith, back to church. Can we just say... Rita is often out with our, our kids, obviously, and um, she's resting and recuperating from, from surgery. And um, as I was, uh, getting are emotional, as I was um, singing in the, in the songs, I was just looking over and thanking God for restoring Rita to good health and bringing her here. So can we just give it up again for Rita? <clears throat> Excuse me. Excuse me. It's not like me to be emotional. Joke, joke. <laughs> um, welcome. It's really good to be here this morning. You know, people often make attempts to categorise us, don't they? You find that? Try, try and put all of us into different groups. Happens all the time. Uh, it's pretty unsuccessful, isn't it, trying to put the entire population of the world into different categories. In uh, this particular one, they try and put people into two. Well, almost impossible really to put people into two categories, but I think there might be a little bit of truth to it. Here they are, two categories, rule breakers, rule keepers. Which one are you? It's totally an oversimplification. I think we're, we're far more complicated individuals, aren't we? In some areas of our lives, we, we break rules and, and then keep others. And, but maybe some of us have a bit of a tendency to be one more than the other. Which one are you, rule breaker or rule keeper? For those of you who do know me fairly well, you'll know that I'm, I am a bit more of a rule breaker. I know that's weird for a pastor to say, but it's true, I'm a bit more of a rule-breaker. I like pushing the boundaries. My wife, she's not here to defend herself, but I would say she is a bit more of a rule-keeper. That's why I'm always getting in trouble. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But, so she's more of a rule-keeper, I'm a bit more of a rule-breaker. And lucky for me, our kids take after me, which is just wonderful. Um, so <laughs> my mum says that's poetic justice. If you ask her, she would say, yep, you were, you were and are probably a rule-keeper. Lucky for me, kids take after me. Let me tell you about a lady who I reckon... She probably grew up as a bit more of a rule keeper, but man, she broke a rule, and for a good reason. On the cold evening of December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to a white man on a bus in the city of Montgomery in the state of Alabama in the country of the United States of America, and she was arrested for her actions. Now, at the time, she she couldn't have known the, 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 what her actions would begin, a, a revolution. Her, her actions sort of sp- were the, the spark that lit the match of the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s, which was the Montgomery bus boycott. Schools in that area, public schools, had just been desegregated, but public transport had not yet. And African-Americans were sick and tired, of being treated like second-class citizens, on transport, which predominantly they used. So for 385 days, no African-American took the bus, and they, they crippled the bus company. And finally, after over a year, the bus company caved, and they instituted more fair and reasonable laws. After much determination and sacrifice, can you imagine? Not catching the bus, long walks, people carpooled, an amazing thing. And all of this process actually brought Martin Luther King into the limelight. He was only in his early 20s at this point. Rosa Parks refused to stand up. Even though she was breaking the law, she did it because she believed the rules of oppression that that pushed her people down went against a higher law, which was that all men and women are created equal and in the image of God. It a scary thing. Can you imagine a scary thing to be arrested by an all-white police force? For many of, many of her people from her community were beaten and killed even by this police force. Can you imagine? But she believed the colour of her skin did not mean she needed to be treated like a second-class citizen and moved to the back of the bus. Not many people know this, but Rosa was a very keen Christian and her faith played a large role in her life. She said, as a child... I learned from the Bible to trust in God and to not be afraid. Speaking about this particular instance, she said, I felt the Lord would give me the strength to endure whatever I had to face. God did away with all my fear. She broke an oppressive rule in order to fulfill a higher one. A remarkable lady, Rosa Parks. What we're going to see today is Jesus, the Son of God, break some rules. Have you ever thought about Jesus being a rule breaker? you ever thought about that? Jesus the rule breaker. Jesus isn't the goody-goody many think him to be, this sort of sheep-hugging, you know, kind of meek and mild Jesus with a perpetual smile on his face, that kind of insipid, you know, that's that's not Jesus. Sorry, this might be a bit loud, Derek, we might turn it down a bit, but uh, sorry if it's popping, guys. Um, Now he was a real man who lived in the real world and it was a crusader for love and justice. So this morning we're going to see Jesus break some rules and far from shunning this kind of title of rule breaker, he wears it as a badge of honour. Now if you've just joined us we are a few weeks into our series called Discover Jesus and uh, we, we are Uh, As Ali said before, we are in the book of Mark in the New Testament, one of the biographies of Jesus' life, and we are looking at who Jesus is and why he came, two very important questions, maybe the greatest and most important questions in the world today. Now, some of us might be thinking, oh, there's, there's far more pressing questions in my life, but I tell you what, we answer those questions, we go a long way to answering many others. Last week, we met Jesus the healer. We saw that Jesus heals out of his love and compassion for people. And he even has the authority to do the deeper work of healing, which is reconciling people to God, forgiving sin. But surely only God can do that. So last week, Jesus the healer. This week, Jesus the rule breaker. Now, in our incredible passage for today, we see Jesus confront the religious leaders of his day in four episodes, we're going to see Jesus break some social conventions and mad made rules. Why? In order to extend his kingdom. Now, what we're seeing as well is we have seen Jesus be very popular with the, with the common people, with the crowds, his popularity grows and grows. And what we're going to see, it started a bit last week where Jesus healed the paralytic, which sort of ticked off the religious leaders. We're going to see that the popularity with the crowds grow and grow. And the unpopularity with the religious elite, with the establishment, grow and grow as well. So their dislike for him grows as the popularity with the crowds grows. So much so that our final verse for today, verse 6 in chapter 3, says, They went away and plotted to kill him. They are not impressed with Jesus. Why? What's going on for them? We're going to look at that a bit today, but in short, they've got a lot to lose. Okay. Four episodes, we're going to see Jesus, the rule breaker, confront religious leaders. We're going to learn a bit more about who Jesus is and what that means for us. Let's dive in episode one. Jesus again returns to one of his favorite preaching spots by the lake. And what happens? He draws a crowd. Jesus is teaching. He teaches, we saw last week, not as the religious leaders, but one who has authority. He is teaching. His teaching goes to the heart to the head and to the heart. He is connecting God's word with people who are hungry to hear from God. Because of his healing ministry, obviously he's been popular, but also because his teaching carries authority. After this, he walks past, we're told, Levi, sitting at a tax collector's booth, and we're told of no preambles, no further conversation. He just says two words to this character, Levi. He says simply, follow me. And he does. I mean, what kind of magnetism, what kind of... Power does Jesus have to just say two words and someone leaves their profession and follows him? Now, Jesus asks him to follow him and be his disciple. And Levi, let me tell you, is an interesting choice for a disciple. I mean, who is he? Well, later we know he becomes one of the 12 apostles. Most likely he has two names, Levi Matthew. But right now he is Levi, the tax collector. And many of you will know a bit about what the tax collector meant in those times. But let's just say this man was utterly despised for kind of two reasons. One reason was he colluded with the Romans who were the oppressive rulers of the day. The Romans administered an enormous amount of territory. They couldn't be bothered um, getting the taxes from people themselves. So what they did is they had people like Levi put up their hand and say, I'll do it, and for a fee he would pay the Romans. Then he would go and collect the taxes for them. But, of course, he would have to cover his costs and raise his salary as well. And how he did that was from extorting his own people. So two reasons. He colluded with the oppressive power of the Romans and he also extorted his own people. So these people were incredibly despised. I was trying to think of a modern-day example for a tax collector. I thought maybe a hedge fund manager. Not all hedge fund managers. No, no, let me finish that. Let me finish that statement. A disgraced hedge fund manager, that's probably been, that's been caught lining their pockets with superannuation funds of the elderly, right? Someone who's just, someone like that, you know, someone just despised, not your top pick for your charity board member, right? A, a man who would be utterly despised. This is the kind of character Jesus is inviting to follow him. Why? Why is Jesus doing this? Because he loves to take broken things and make them beautiful. He is going to, he is saying to this man, Levi, I'm going to do a work in you and I'm going to get the glory for it. Next moment we're told, this is classic Mark, we just go from this episode and then to the next one we're told, now Jesus is at Levi's house having a meal with him. And who's there? Other tax collectors and sinners. Now sinners in the New Testament most likely means other people of ill repute. You know, people of bad reputation, right? This is, these are the people that Jesus is hanging out with. Now, this may not come as a surprise to us, but the religious leaders of the day do not get this. Now, remember the two questions for Mark. Who is Jesus? What does he come to do? And the third question is, what does it mean to follow him? Those two questions, who is Jesus? What does he come to do? The religious leaders are trying to answer that question for themselves as well. So this guy, he's teaching. He seems to have authority. Maybe he's from God. But if he's those things, he wouldn't be doing this. You see that? He wouldn't be associating with people like this. He's a healer. He's got some power from God. What is he doing associating with the riffraff? Why waste your time with these types of people? Jesus is not fitting into their categories. It's a good thing. What Jesus is doing here, he's totally breaking social convention. Eating with someone in our day is a wonderful thing to do, and you generally do it with friends. Back then, it, it, that was heightened so much more so. To, to have a meal with somebody was not necessarily to condone their behaviour, but certainly align yourselves with them. So Jesus is happy to align himself with these types of people. He's happy to have even his reputation Tinted in other Gospels, we're told he was known as a glutton and a drunkard. That was his reputation. You know what? Jesus doesn't care. Isn't that refreshing? Jesus couldn't care less about his reputation in this way. Isn't that refreshing? Isn't that refreshing? Have you ever met somebody like that who just, you know, in a good way, couldn't care less what people think of them? I think they're a bit of a rare breed, don't you reckon? Jesus is willing to break social conventions of his day and man-made rules in order to extend his kingdom of love and justice. Religious leaders, they don't get it. And here begins really his opposition with the religious elite. Popularity of the crowds increases. Unpopularity with the Pharisees' teacher of the law, that increases. Culminating in their desire to kill him. Now, religious leaders, they sort of probably corner some of the disciples at this meal, and they say, why is Jesus doing this? And I'll bet you the disciples don't have an answer. They're pretty new to this, and they're probably figuring out, well, that's a good question. I don't know what Jesus is doing. There's probably a silence, and then Jesus overhears and answers for them. And he says this pithy little sentence, which I just love. It's one of my favorite verses. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Oh, sorry. It's, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, it's an obvious statement, isn't it? Of course, you don't go to the doctor when you're healthy. It's pretty obvious. But here is the great reversal of the kingdom of God. Here it is. For those who think they are healthy, prove themselves sick. And those who know they're sick, find health. This just confounds our ideas of religion, doesn't it? doesn't make sense. The only prerequisite for entry into the kingdom of God is need. To know that I cannot get there on my own. The sinners and the tax collectors, the people of bad reputation and ill ill repute that that are dining with Jesus, they're not standing on ceremony, are they? They're not pretending to be something they're not. And here's the thing. The religious leaders, they're in the exact same boat as everyone else at that meal. Because the sin problem is a human problem. It's not a, a working class, middle class problem. It's a human problem. But they don't see it that way. They try to cover up their condition, the very human condition of sin, with their piety and their rule keeping. They'd rather do lots of things and try and work their own way to God rather than admit they can't get there on their own. I was thinking about this this week. Um, I'm sure you've heard this before, but don't you find it interesting the types of people who were attracted to Jesus are often repelled by the church? Have you thought about that before? The people who were attracted to Jesus are often turned off by Christians, and by the church. How does that statement make you feel? You know, it makes me sad. Could this church, could Harborside Church, be a place where people from all walks of life feel comfortable? Could Harborside Church be a place where people from all walks of life are able to meet Jesus here? I love it. Levi has this, the tax collector has this little encounter with Jesus, and what does he do? He immediately invites his friends, come and meet this amazing man. The religious leaders don't like it, episode two. John the Baptist's disciples and some of the religious leaders of the day are doing a religious thing. They are fasting. I'll explain that in a moment. And they come up and and say to Jesus, Jesus, why aren't you and your followers also participating in this religious practice? Now, there are various opinions as to why John's disciples and Pharisees teach the law uh, fasting in the day. In the Old Testament, fasting represented repentance and grief over sin. In Jesus' day, it most likely represented a desire to see the coming of the Messiah. Right? People would... um, Fast and would would pray a lot for the King to come, for the Messiah to come. That's most likely what's happening here on Mondays and Thursdays. That was the uh, role of the religious leaders and John's disciples. That's what they were doing, fasting. Come, Messiah, come. They say, Jesus, why aren't you and your disciples doing this? Why aren't you taking part in this religious practice? And Jesus says to them, the bridegroom is here. The Messiah is here the one that you're fasting, that you hope would come, is in front of you. I'm extending the kingdom of God now. It's not the time for mourning. It's the time for joy. It doesn't make sense for me and my followers to participate in religious rituals like this anymore. In short, Jesus is saying this. The kingdom I am bringing, it's unlike anything you've seen before. That's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom I'm bringing, it's unlike anything you've seen before. You can't just bolt it on to your existing ideas of religion. It just won't work and he gives us two illustrations, one about clothes and one about wine, one about fashion and one about wine, two things we probably know a little bit about in this area, I imagine. Now, I don't know much about uh, clothes. My nicest clothes are bought for me from by Pip and my mum. My mum has actually a really good eye, she buys nice clothes for me. But, I don't know much about clothes, but I do understand a little bit about clothing and fibres. I have before, like many of us here, put something in the warm wash that I shouldn't have, popped it in the dryer and tried like a jumper and tried to stick it over my big fat head and it didn't fit. Right? Many of us haven't done that before. That's what happens. Jesus is saying, you don't repair an old garment that's already shrunk and gone through the wash multiple times with a new garment that hasn't experienced that. Because what will happen? That new garment will do that, and it will tear, and it will ruin the clothing. Likewise, old wineskins were to store old wine. If you took an old wineskin, which was brittle and become hardened with age, you put new wine in, the fermentation process has not completed, so chemical reactions are going on, and the wineskin will burst, and tragedy, wine would be wasted. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? It couldn't be clearer, could it? Jesus is saying, don't try and retrofit what I am doing to your ways of doing things. Why? Because the gospel is utterly unique. It stands utterly unique among the faith systems and religions of the world. You can't add a bit of this or a bit of that and sort of make your own religion. It doesn't work that way. I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine recently, and uh, he was saying, you know, I I respect what you do, and I'm... I'm interested in the teachings of Jesus, but I also like the teachings of this religious leader and that religion. And, and, you know, and he was sort of trying to, to, to bolt together his own type of faith. Now, I don't want to rubbish any other faith, but what I'm trying to say, I do believe there is truth in other faiths. There is, all truth is God's truth. But the two questions of who is God and how is one saved are uniquely answered by the Christian faith. God is Trinity. How are we saved grace and let me tell you grace is an utterly non-person made man-made thing it's so clear because it's not about us it's about god have you ever thought about karma the rule of karma i think that kind of makes a bit more sense in in a human way don't you reckon you know you get you, you get what you put in you know, if you do something wrong, well, you'll, you'll get, that makes sense to us. But grace, and a totally undeserved gift from God, you mean all I have to do is turn in faith. I don't have to do anything. That puts off people. It's clearly not a man-made thing. That is from God. Karma makes more sense, but let me tell you, it's not good news like the gospel. Episode 3. The pedantic rules of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are put to Jesus again. Okay, what's happening here? Jesus and his followers are walking through the grain fields on a Sabbath. So Jesus is here, Carla. Jesus is here, his disciples are following, and a crowd is following behind. And among that crowd are some religious leaders. They're walking through a grain field. It's harvest time on the Sabbath. And what are they doing? The disciples are picking the head of grain, sort of rubbing it between their hands, and eating it like a bit of popcorn, I guess, like a snack. And the religious leaders are, are they're just oh man, it's so annoying. They're just looking for, for Jesus to stuff up. Aha! What you are doing is unlawful to do on the Sabbath. So just nitpicking pedantic. I mean, do you know those kinds of people who just nitpick? Oof, sometimes they're very hard work. The disciples are having a walking snack, and the religious leaders say that is unlawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, some background on the Sabbath, because this is the background of of this episode and the next one. The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, that is different. Six days you will work, and on the seventh, that is is supposed to be a Sabbath devoted to God. The purpose of the Sabbath, that word in Hebrew, Sabbath, means cease and desist. Cease and desist from what? Work. Six days work, the seventh day don't dedicated to God, and rest. Purpose of Sabbath, stop work, focus on God, and rest. Now, I don't want to go into all the details of this, but in Jesus' day, there was massive debate of what constituted work, what counted as work, and what didn't. And this really goes to the heart of the religious leaders of the day. The the, the teachers, of the law, the Pharisees, had come up with so many different rules and regulations So that no one did anything that remotely looked like work. So here we have God's good law. Don't kill yourselves working every day. Take a day off. Sounds great to me. But what they did is they put so many rules and regulations around this that what was supposed to be a beautiful thing, was supposed to give you rest, actually became a duty. Can you see that? Something that was supposed to give life had so many rules and regulations around it. It became just so legalistic and draining. They pick up Jesus and his followers for having a little snack because you weren't allowed to harvest on the Sabbath. It's ridiculous. Very, very pedantic and nitpicking. Do you know those types of people? They can be very hard work. It's ridiculous. And Jesus even shows them an example of one of their heroes, David. In the Old Testament, King David, before he was King David, was being pursued by King Saul. He was on the run with his, uh, with his men, and he probably didn't have time to pack supplies. He hides out from Saul in the house of God. They've, they've got no supplies, nothing to eat. There is, there's bread there. It's only supposed to be used for ceremonial use, but he eats it, and he gives some to his men so they don't starve. The priest is okay with it. God doesn't condemn them for, it, for their actions. And Jesus is saying this is the same kind of thing. I mean, this this bread that was supposed to be used for one thing, but better these men eat it and not die. See what's going on? This is what Jesus is trying to say. Verse 27 makes it pretty clear. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This is it. The Sabbath is a gift to you, and you've made it into a duty. Then Jesus gets even clearer, particularly with his identity. He says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Son of Man is Jesus' favourite title for himself. It means the long-awaited king, the Messiah. He says, you're lecturing me (laughs) on what's okay to do on the Sabbath? I gave it to you. And you've distorted a thing of rest into a thing of burden. Now, we talked a bit before about nitpicking people, right? But i tell you, is there anything worse than a... a religious version of this. Oh, they exist. These people exist in the church, favoring rules over grace. Have you ever heard this before? Well, that's just the way we've always done it. Ever heard that one before? If we love tradition more than Jesus, we're in trouble. We've been pointing fingers for a little bit, but don't worry. Fingers are going to be pointing at us ourselves in a moment. Don't worry about that. Episode four. Now this really comes to a head in this episode. We aren't now arguing about little points of the law. We're not arguing about fasting or even the company one keeps. We're arguing about the well-being of a human being. Jesus again enters the synagogue on the Sabbath. He goes to where the people are and he teaches them. Remember, he teaches as one with authority. And people are drawn to him. And he sees there, and the man doesn't seem to come up to him, he sees there a man with a, a shriveled, disfigured hand. And the religious leaders are there waiting for him to do what he's been doing a lot of, which is healing. But you could, apparently you couldn't do that because of this silly man-made rules. Couldn't do that on the Sabbath. You couldn't heal and restore someone on the Sabbath. I mean, really? They were waiting for him to do the very thing that he does looking for ways to catch Jesus out. And I love this next bit. I just love it. Jesus confronts the hypocrisy and injustice of the religious leaders outright. Now, can I just pause here and explain a little bit about the religious leaders? Probably should have done this earlier. And Pharisees of the day, we quickly, if we've heard a bit about this before, we quickly demonize these folks. But let me say, back in the day, they were the local heroes. These people were trying to live godly lives. The reason they added lots of laws for a lot of them was they were trying to do the right thing and they were admired greatly by the people of the day. So for Jesus to be going against them was a big deal. He was putting a lot on the line. (laughs) Jesus confronts the hypocrisy and injustice of their silly man-made regulations. Just like Rosa Parks confronts the oppression of racism in her day, By defiantly refusing to give up her seat, Jesus defiantly tells the man with the shriveled hand to stand up in front of everybody. He's going to make an example of this. Stand up in front of everybody. Jesus is not afraid of confrontation, and it gets more intense. With the man now standing up in front of everybody, he looks at the teachers, the law, the Pharisees. I mean, if you get awkward in moments like this, you could cut the tension with a knife, I can imagine. He says to them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good, or to do evil? To save life or to kill? Can you imagine just the tenseness in that room? They don't know what to say, so they, they remain silent. That's probably some wisdom on their part. And we are told in the next verse that Jesus is angry. Last week we saw Jesus was angry at the state of a man with, who was disfigured. The leprosy had had taken away this man's dignity and jesus was there to restore him to his god-given dignity And now jesus is angry with the stubborn hearts of the religious folks why because they were supposed to be leading god's people in the things of god they were supposed to be the people's shepherds the pastors of their day pointing people to God but what they've done is they would burden the people with rules and regulations. These people would rather have seen a man-made law obeyed than see a man restored to full health. What do you think represents the heart of God more? God restoring a man's hand to full use or keeping a man-made regulation? Let me give, I was trying to think of a, a modern-day illustration, an example of this. We'll see if this works. You may have heard of a man named Tony Campolo, quite a famous um, evangelist and, and Christian speaker. I, I, I saw him speak over 10 years ago now, and just amazing gifts and talents as a public speaker. He often would speak on behalf of um, NGOs and charities, organisations, that kind of thing. Well, he did for, for a little while now, he did this thing he caused quite a stir when in order to get people's attention, he would swear in one of his talks. Quite controversial. He'd say this. I'm not going to swear, don't worry, but we'll figure it out. You've got good imaginations. He would say this. While you were sleeping last night, 30,000 kids died of starvation or diseases related to malnutrition. Most of you don't give what's worse is that you're more upset with the fact that I said than the fact that 30,000 kids died last night. got people's attention. And you know what the amazing, sad thing was? People did care more about the fact that he swore. Oh, man, he he had speaking engagements cancelled... Okay, this is a bit of a friend of a friend thing, but a friend of mine told me that a friend of his who was in ministry booked Tony Campolo to come and speak. It. He was the associate. He came to speak at his church. He did this talk. He, he swore on stage, and he was fired for being the one to book Tony Campolo. He said, what should I have done? He said, you should have gone on and dragged him off the stage. I mean, are you serious? Now, I'm not condoning swearing. Okay, please, please don't tweet that. I'm not condoning swearing whatsoever. <laughs> but I am interested in just the pharisaical, just the nitpicking, the attitudes of of some Christians. Folks, where are our hearts at? Where are our hearts at? Okay, we've done a bit of finger pointing. Let's take it right back here. Martin Luther famously said, religion is the default mode of the human heart. And I believe he's right. We said before that grace is kind of alien to us. That maybe karma makes more sense. I've got to do certain things and then maybe I'll make my way to heaven or I'll make some of my way there and God can help me a little bit. But grace is utter undeserved gifts. That's how we enter the kingdom. That is utterly non-human. It's divine. Religion is the default mode of the human heart. This means that even understanding the gospel, even applying it to our hearts after that, we can easily drift into rule-keeping, can't we? Easily drift into, okay, so if I do this, and if I, if I fulfill these things, if I obey this rule, if I, if I do this, then God will love me, bless me, throw, throw a blessing my way, he'll accept me. No. I've got to keep coming back to the gospel as central. So easy to point the finger, isn't it? There's a lot in here for us too. You see, Jesus came to remove the man-made hurdles so people could encounter the real God, right? What hurdles do we construct? What hurdles do we construct to keep people from meeting Jesus? Our mission here at Harborside Church is to proclaim the hope of Jesus to Mossman and beyond. We exist to invite people to encounter Jesus. That's why we're here. Yes, we're here to deepen in our faith. We're here to worship God. We're here to create a wonderful sense of community. But our mission is to be outward facing so we can invite people to encounter Jesus. But i tell you what, this is also one of the exciting things about planting a church, right? Remember, we're four weeks old as a church and we get to create our, our own culture and DNA. Isn't that exciting? We get to do that together. But let's not kid ourselves and think that Each one of us don't bring our own spiritual and religious baggage to church. We do. I do. You see, at Harborside, we want to live in the way of Jesus, not get in the way of Jesus. Does that make sense? The truth is, we have blind spots right now. And we will have blind spots as a church. What we need to do is ask God by his spirit to reveal them to us and have the strength and the courage to change. What is it going to be for us? I talked a bit about this last week. I think it deserves repeating. I, I, I believe I've heard a bit about you know some feedback from the church, and we are, praise God, creating a warm and welcoming space here, a warm and welcoming church. That's, that's what we're trying to do here. But I reckon a danger is, soon, we might think, oh, I've got my people now. This is good. This feels feels good. You know, I've got my people, and and let's kind of focus a bit more inward, and let's you know, easy to do, and it makes sense. Easy to do. I believe that the, having an outward focus and a warm and welcoming a church is not the default position of many churches. The default position is to go inward and, and look after our own needs and demand much of the of the ministry team. So I think. Moving forward, we're going to have to push ourselves outwards to focus on inviting people to encounter Jesus. I think we're going to have to keep on each other in a, in a good way, in that way. These are some great questions I've been thinking through this week. I don't necessarily have all the answers for them. We need to think through them. What do we want to be known for as a church? What do we want to be known for as a church? What will our church be known for? Are we willing to put programs in front of people? That's a hurdle. Are we willing to put things above human beings? This is not what we want to do, but this is often the default mode of organisations. See, it's so tempting to think the religious leaders are so different from us. But the church is proof that that's not true. How often are people put off by the actions of judgmental Christians? How many times have you had conversations with people who are not yet believers and many of them aren't, well, I object to the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes that would be really nice, wouldn't it? But it's often they've had a terrible experience of church or of Christians. or We are done with hypocrisy. What hurdles are we constructing so people cannot get to Jesus. Jesus came to remove those hurdles so people could experience the real love of the living God. That's what we want to do. So I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to ask the band to come up. You want to come up now? and We're going to pray through. Lord, we need your help in removing hurdles that we cannot even see yet. Going back to the very beginning, remember our friend Rosa Parks? when asked if she was scared when she broke the law the man made law of segregation to fulfill a higher one she said this she said you must never be fearful about what you are doing when it is right Isn't that a great quote you must never be fearful about what you are doing when it is right Jesus came to remove barriers and hurdles to the true and living God. When we are doing that, when we are doing the right thing, may we do it confidently and without fear. You know, May we stand up for the good news of the gospel and invite people to encounter him. May we refuse to let people reject the Christian faith upon anything other than who Jesus is and what he's done. May we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Live out the undeniable truth of Jesus. That's the church I want to be a part of. Amen to that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Jesus, for being a crusader for love, truth, justice. Heavenly Father, we thank you that broken people like myself can be used for your glory. We think of Levi, we think of a broken man with a terrible reputation, being restored, being used to be something beautiful, to be a mouthpiece of your goodness. Heavenly Father, we ask that by your Spirit you would reveal to us where are our blind spots, What hurdles are we already constructing that will hurt people, will hinder people coming to know you? Reveal them to us. Humble us, Lord. Keep the fires burning for mission in this church. May we be outward focused. Longing to see people meet you for the first time, reconnect with you. That's why we exist. We need your strength, we need your help, we need your vision. We thank you for the community that you are bringing together here. We ask that our culture would always be about you, keeping the grace of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, is central to everything we do. We pray it all in the name and the power of the risen Lord Jesus. Amen.